Welcome back to Through the Gates, the podcast at IU Media School where we get to meet our community and learn about the stories behind the stories that we're all hearing about. And I'm Elaine Monaghan. I'm a professor of practice in journalism and public relations here at the Media School. And I'm here co-hosting today with... Violet Barron, producer Through the Gates. Hi, Violet. Hi, Elaine. Great to be here. I feel exactly the same way. Um, and we're particularly pleased today to introduce our guest, who is John Patton. And he is a professor of biology and Blatt Chair of Virology. So that's a clue. <laughs> In the College of Arts and Sciences at IU Bloomington. And we are here to hear about some very important research that Dr. Patton has been doing that is of immense importance to all of us today. And, and we are hoping that we'll be able to um, understand better the work that you are doing. So I've left it open to you to tell us the secret behind this conversation. What is it? Thank, thank you for the invitation uh, to, co to come talk about our work a little bit uh, here. Um, so uh, I've been a virologist. I started my training many years ago um, uh, at Virginia Tech. That's in Blacksburg, Virginia. I was a, a young budding virologist. Um, at that point, no one knew what a virologist was, and so you always had to explain it. And I, I must admit, now it's quite different, right? You tell someone you're a virologist. Most people got that. They, they kind of know where, where you're coming at now. So the world has certainly changed in the last year. Um, but um, probably about 25, 30 years ago, I started working on uh, rotaviruses. And and a lot of people don't know what a rotavirus is, uh, certainly, um, and we didn't know a whole lot about them at the beginning, but rotavirus turns out to maybe be one of the avenues that we're using to try to develop ways of helping control a pandemic um, that's really targeted, um, coming up with solutions of preventing um, COVID-19 in young children and that can spread it to their parents and other people in the community. Um, so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about rotavirus and, and um, kind of in a broad sweeping sort of way, uh, give you a little bit of a sense of what this virus is so that you can understand how we're trying to uh, transition from the work that we used to do on rotavirus to the work that we're now doing on SARS-CoV-2. So rotavirus is, is um, virus that almost every infant young child will get during the first six months, uh, three years of their life. And until vaccines came along against rotaviruses, they would cause uh, 500,000 deaths uh, approximately globally of very young children. And, and primarily that was something that was uh, happening in the developed world uh, in countries where there there's not a lot of access to clinics and not a, uh, access to what would be somewhat fairly simple remedies to helping children that have this really severe dehydrating uh, illness that can cause death uh, pretty rapidly in, in young children. So um, we work on this. We, we've always worked on this virus. We've been interested in how it, how it does its thing. How, how come it's so dangerous in children? Why is it such a problem? Uh, along through all this process, um, um, there were att attempts to develop vaccines against rotavirus. 
those have turned out to be successful. So what does a rotavirus vaccine look like? Well, in around 2006, uh, in the United States, um, the first rotavirus vaccine showed up and that was a vaccine called Rotorix. Uh, it's made by uh, GSK. Uh, and two, two years- GlaxoSmithKline, is that- Exactly. Yeah. And two years later, an, um, Merck brought out their version of a rotavirus vaccine uh, called uh, Rotatech. And so if you have a newborn, if, if you're a, a, a young mom um, who's had a baby that's been born in the last, um, a child that's been born in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, the chances are pretty good that the child was immunized against rotavirus. And it's a really simple virus. It's uh, a vaccine. Uh, it's an oral vaccine. You just, uh, usually the child is crying because they don't like to be in the doctor's office and you said you're going to vaccinate them and they think shots, needles, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, really all it is, it's a droplet uh, or two or three that goes in their mouth where they're crying. It works really well. Uh, they swallow it. Um, that virus that's in the tube is this attenuated strain. It's, it means it's kind of a real virus, but it has been weakened so much um, that it causes a very limited infection in the guts and the stomach uh, of the, the baby, just enough to make the, the baby's immune system pay attention. Uh, and in doing that, you get an immune response uh, by the baby that results in uh, protection uh, for the child against ever coming down with severe rotavirus disease, right? So wonderful. I have to stop you for a moment just to say one thing, which is that I wish this vaccine had been around when my 17-year-old was born, because I've had the misfortune of caring for a child with rotavirus, and it's not pleasant for anyone. But obviously, there's a very serious issue here because it can, only, it can be a lot more than unpleasant. Um, and, and it can in fact be deadly, as you just pointed out. So anyway, sorry for interrupting. No, 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 no. I feel free to interrupt me at any time. I, I, I'm just here to entertain. Uh, but I think we do forget, right? So age has its certain positive points. And I, 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 not that you're a, uh, an older person or anything like that. I don't want to get myself in trouble <laughs> oh, <don't> here. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, so certainly if, if you are... Uh, if you had older children at this point or uh, grown up kids, basically, there's probably a pretty good chance that you remember when they were about a year old or less, that they may have come down with this really tremendously severe diarrhea. They, in many cases, they require going to at least to the pediatrician, if not being hospitalized. It's a very serious issue uh, that can go bad really fast, uh, even in the U.S. It wasn't just a problem in the developing world. Uh, it's a problem in uh, the developed world too, but we now have vaccines. So, you know, around 80 to 90% of all children and newborns in the US receive this vaccine during the first six months of life and they're good to go. They're good to go. So it's great. Um, so that vaccine, um, all right. So he, the WHO comes along, WHO comes along and, and you, you know, the, 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 the goal here is to vaccinate every child that's born, right? Uh, in the U.S., that's maybe three to four million children. Babies are born each year. Uh, seems like a lot. It is a lot. Uh, but in compare, and so we vaccinate pretty much all of them. Any, all of them that wanted to be vaccinated against uh, 
rotavirus R and it, it gets pushed. But the world's birth cohort is 120 million babies are born each year. Um, so it's a, you need two or three doses, let's say of a rotavirus vaccine to fully immunize those children. So you're talking about 250 million, 300 million doses. That's a lot, right? Right. Uh, but that's the, that's the goal, right? That's the goal of the WHO. We are going to vaccinate uh, all the babies in the world, regardless if they're in developed or developing countries against this. And they are working on that. They're working on it. Right, right now, the vaccine is rolling out in India, uh, who before the vaccine was introduced had about 100 million, I'm sorry, 100,000 babies dying each year from rotavirus infection, even two years ago, right? Big problem, still a big problem. It's a, it's a tremendous problem. So our thought when the pandemic virus showed up, when SARS-CoV-2 uh, SARS showed up, we said, huh, I wonder if we can take this existing rotavirus vaccine that clearly the plan, long-term plan is to use it in all corners of the world. Let's modify it. Let's manipulate it so that it becomes a cause for good, a cause for even better good than it was before, right? So uh, the idea uh, was to somehow use molecular techniques to re-engineer this virus, okay? Uh, modifying this virus um, so that it would make um, the famous spike protein that we all talk about uh, when we're talking about SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so in a nutshell, you're re-engineering the rotavirus vaccine yes. or the rotavirus virus. Right. And so we're just going to use this existing, the idea, easy concept, right? I'm sitting on my easy chair going, this will work perfectly. No <laughs> idea. But the concept of, of course, is to just to, to um, manipulate the rotavirus genetic material in a way that instead of making the proteins it normally does, is to make one additional protein, the SARS-CoV-2 protein, spike protein, so that when you give this vaccine, the normal rotavirus vaccine to an infant, they make, um, the virus will do, the vaccine virus will do exactly what it's always done, right? Go to the gut of the child, the intestine of the child, the stomach of the child, do a little infection. Uh, you'll get this immune response uh, that protects the child forever against the rotavirus infection, anything severe. Um, and then, but also, because um, the vaccine is also causing the expression of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, the baby's immune system will also develop an antibody response against the spike protein and will protect the child against that as well. That's the goal. So can you do that, right? It's easy to say. <laughs> my, my mind is exploding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you do this? Can you do this? Uh, well, probably wouldn't be here if I didn't think we could. So where we are right now in terms of developing these vaccines, we, we uh, are these viruses that can make the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Uh, we have this collection of viruses now uh, and you know we're basically at the point where we're doing these um, tests in mice to make sure that when they are exposed, when they're immunized with these particular strains of viruses, that they uh, will generate uh, an antibody response. They will pr produce an, an induce an antibody response, an immune response in the animal 
that would indicate whether or not uh, our concept on how you would protect uh, infants and children against rotavirus and SARS-CoV-2, uh, kind of this combination uh, approach, whether it would work uh, in, uh, in, in a real animal kind of situation or something like that. So that's where we are now. But I, I, th I think for us, you know, uh, a, a big selling point out is that um, immunization programs are expensive. Um, they're expensive. And as we all know, uh, as you think about at first when the Pfizer vaccine came out, we're all going, we have to store this at minus 70 degrees C. How are we planning on doing that? Whose house has a minus C in it, right? So you, just the electricity on that is an issue because um, you can go in my lab if you unplug and open it up these doors at the same time for these big, super cold refrigerators, uh, you'll blow the circuit breaker, no problem whatsoever. So think you're in the developed world, right? And uh, you're talking about, again, uh, the, the requirement that you have 250 million doses worldwide, they might have to be stored in freezers uh, that care transported on dry ice, all this kind of stuff. Uh, very difficult to conceive of how that would be done. And then it has to be delivered by a needle, uh, all, all this. So, and then you have to have distribution patterns, right? Just for this one vaccine. So our thought was, well, by making these combination rotavirus, COVID-19 COVID vaccines, uh, we're just piggybacking on an existing, uh, either existing rotavirus distribution uh, systems or ones that are already being developed. Is that common to piggyback? Have, have scientists done that for other vaccines? Yeah, so remember there's these combination vaccines, NMR and some of these other vaccines that you take when you're really young. So, you know, we- rubella, right? Yeah, exactly. We load up our kids, right? With these uh, combination vaccines and they work, right? Your immune system is amazingly competent and capable of handle, handling many different things all at the same time and gen generating immune response. So just being uh, having to deal with rotavirus at the same time as a spike protein, not a big issue uh, for, for the immune system, particularly since these are attenuated types of things. These are not really pathogenic situations. So it's, it's not really a, a threatening situation per, uh, to the individual or to the infant per se. So um, that's kind of our concept then. So on the basis of what you know so far, um, how long do you think it would take to potentially reach the point of being able to deliver these drops into babies' mouths? Yeah, so right, um, the, the time scales are really extended on this kind of work. Um, so uh, of course, you know, we, <laughs> we don't have the billion dollars behind us uh, that a lot of the drug companies have to push their things. We, we, no one sent us that check yet. Um, but so I think we're probably, it, you know, if it came to work and you went through all the, the mile posts along the road and things were all moving along, you're probably five to 10 years out in a situation where um, some drug company might really go, let's do this. Um, but um, that's, that's for babies, right? Five to 10 years from when everyone can just get this at birth. Or yeah. So, so our, yeah, obviously this vaccine and our, this approach for here is really geared towards young children, uh, neonates. Um, it's a little bit different issue on what you're thinking about doing as people get older, but, but, you know, neonates, young children are 
uh, unique risk across the board against all sorts of pathogens because their immune systems aren't fully developed. They're, um, you know, they're very dependent upon mom's antibodies and breast milk and so forth to help protect them against sorts of things. And so um, this is these kind of rotavirus vaccines or um, rotavirus platform vaccines are really something that are being developed for them. And it's not just SARS-CoV-2, it can be noroviruses, it can be hepatitis viruses, other kind of mucosal viruses and so forth that kids get that are a big risk to that age group. Um, and, you know, so that's really our kind of our domain and, and trying to develop vaccines. So I mean, would it, be, would it be fair to say that having a vaccine you can deliver to a newborn is the kind of key to unlocking our ability to prevent the development of the, or to stop coronavirus in its tracks in the long term? I wish I, I wish that was really true. Uh, you know, there are certain viruses that you get that once you're infected, uh, you get what's called sterilizing immunity, meaning that you will, anytime you encounter the virus again, you were protected forever from even being infected by the virus, right? Which is a different consideration on whether you're going to get the disease, right? So the vaccines right now that are rolling out, we know they will protect you against disease, hopefully long-term. We're less sure what that means in terms about getting an infection. So virus vaccines like the rotavirus vaccine, um, they probably don't give you what's called sterilizing protection. Measles and mumps do, uh, but you, you get a flu vaccine, you get a lot of these kind of respiratory vaccines or enteric kinds of vaccines. Uh, they prevent the disease. They don't necessarily keep you from getting it forever. So long story short, by giving a child a rotavirus vaccine, a rotavirus uh, um, SARS-CoV-2 vaccine does not mean necessarily they still won't be infected later on in life by these same viruses, but hopefully there's no illness, right? Um, so will it, does this mean that we don't have to take these vaccines going forward down the road again, another boost like you do with flu or something like that? Nope, doesn't mean that. Just means that the young children won't have disease. It'll probably cut down on transmission some um, and, and uh, protect the children uh, for some good period of, of time, we hope. Mm -hmm. And um, are you all the only people doing this? Or are there sort of many labs that were already, maybe you're the only one working with the rotavirus? I, I think we're probably about the only ones that are trying to use rotavirus to deal with uh, and come up with a combination vaccine that also protects against COVID-19. Uh, there are other labs, I think, that are starting to use the reverse genetics technologies to address other uh, viruses that infect young children and neonates. And then there are other platform viruses, like the measles virus. Is also, their attempts are also being made to re-engineer it so that it, too, might be used as a vaccine that protects um, kids against COVID-19. You, you know, the, you have virologists, they love their tools and they love playing with their uh, putting on their engineering hats. So uh, the possibility in re-engineering these viruses to do other things for the good of mankind, of course, uh, is, is a very exciting sort of thing. And uh, we like it. We like doing this stuff. So Well, and, and the rest of us are very grateful that you like doing this kind of stuff. So 
I have another question which I have to ask you that I think probably some people listening might also want to ask, which is, well, aren't there sort of some scary dangers inherent in developing viruses that, or rather, sorry, vaccines, um, by messing around with viruses and adding spikes to them? This is making me slightly nervous. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, totally reasonable question. And in fact, uh, when we set up labs like this that are working with these kind of viruses, we have to get certain types of approvals uh, on the type of work that we're doing to make sure that we're not doing exactly what your, uh, your concern is about, that we're creating monsters in our lab. Um, so we, we, try not, we try hard not to create monsters in the lab. There are all kinds of locked door policies and up, uh, methods in which we use specifically to get rid of what are called recombinant viruses and stuff to make sure they don't go anywhere. But by and large, we are very aware uh, and do not attempt to do experiments that are called gain of function. So that's a buzzword that means you don't wanna give the virus an ability that it didn't already have naturally, right? So uh, the way that we engineer the spike protein is, is not like you're thinking because that would be horrible. Uh, which is to take a virus, a rotavirus, and suddenly put spike proteins on its surface because suddenly that virus might be able to infect cells through an ACE2 receptor, right? It may get in there. Um, that's not the approach here. We are asking uh, our recombinant virus to make the spike protein, but it's not part of our virus particle. Uh, so it's not empowering rotavirus with any new capabilities. It will not become the Superman virus that we all need to worry about, or the dark beta, whatever, the bad side of whatever the Superman is, whatever the opposite is. Um, so so that, that's an important issue, and it's always an issue, and it's something that we are always concerned about. Uh, and even when we're publishing studies on this kind of thing, that's one of the questions that always comes up in the review process of these manuscripts. Uh, can this be published? Uh, does it provide any information that might be used to generate really viruses that have um, new properties that are actually threatening uh, or risky, dangerous. And, and so, yeah, I, it's a totally reasonable question. Uh, we don't do that. Yeah. And uh, so all of the wonderful things you're doing are in your lab are really, it sounds like they're really of the benefit of much of the population. Um, I know that a lab is probably many people, right, or at least a few. So you've got yourself, of course, in the lead, um, but you also have, do you have graduate students and such? I know that one of them was named in some of the articles about your project. Yeah, so we do. So uh, my lab um, consists of, depending on how many undergraduates are showing up on any certain day, which can vary, uh, usually about six to eight people. There are four graduate students. And I think the individual you're talking about here is Asha Phillip, who is this amazing uh, undergrad, uh, a graduate student that's been with me for almost four years now, who has made almost, um, she, she loves to do reverse engineering almost as much as I do, but she's way better at it than I am. So um, I can't, you know, I can't see the bottom of test tubes particularly well anymore. She can still see the bottom of the test tube, which makes a big difference when you're dealing with small volume. Uh, but she's amazed almost the, all the recombinant viruses that uh, have been driving this particular project. She, she's, quite, she's quite an individual, uh, very lucky to have her in the lab. 
and, and then I have some other great members of the lab too. They're slightly working on different projects or uh, complementary projects. Um, but but so we have the four graduate students and a couple of postdocs and a couple of undergraduates, and it, it's a nice team. Uh, you know, there's there's always uh, something bubbling along, uh, usually good, uh, occasionally bubbling on the floor, but usually something's bubbling along in a good sort of way. So it's a fun. I hate to say it, but I think we've actually run out of time. Um, it's just been absolutely wonderful to listen to you talking about bubbling test tubes, and dangerous monsters, and Darth Vader with us here at Through the Gates, and above all about the possibility of a vaccine that could protect babies all over the world in the future, not only from rotavirus, but also from this horrible virus that we've been dealing with for the last over a year. So thank you very much from me, Elaine Monaghan, and from... Violet Barron, thank you so much. Great to hear from you. And thank you for the invitation. It's been great. Enjoyed it, totally. And from Through the Gates, see you next time.